This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, indeed, this is Just for Kicks, a weekly dose of football. This week on the show with me, I have three guests. Azran, welcome back to the program. Always a pleasure, always a pleasure. Hi, everybody. Nick. Good to see you, man, Daryl. Yeah, good to see you guys too. And also, Sean. Oh, it's good to be back today. Good weekend, good weekend. Yeah, good weekend for some, not so good weekend for some other people as well. Uh, let's start off uh, at the King Power Stadium on this episode with uh, Leicester City 4, Spurs 1. Um, Brendan Rogers side battled back from a goal down to seal a 4-1 win. Uh, Leicester City stalwarts Harvey Barnes and James Madison had an amazing game. Azran, let's start with you. What were your initial reactions from this? You know, Spurs just dropping the ball? I think it's a combination of this season. We've spoken about how inconsistent teams have been, especially uh, the top three downwards. And it's uh, Spurs is another illustration of that. I mean, a week after beating uh, the defending champions, Manchester City, at their own home, playing really well, uh, they started off quite well against Leicester. They got an early goal uh, through Bentancourt. And after that, I would say they were totally outplayed. Leicester had a really high-intensity, fast-flowing game. Obviously, James Madison is as informed as a player can be at this point of time. I think he's probably, arguably, uh, the best number 10 in the league at this point of time, together with probably Odegaard. But yeah, he pulled the strings in midfield. Leicester managed to score three goals uh, by halftime, leading 3-1. Uh, they, they scored another one uh, in the second half. In fact, there was also another goal disallowed. So it was a totally convincing victory for Leicester and really, really a bad result for Spurs. Mm-hmm. Plus, furthermore, exacerbated by the fact that I think one of their best midfielders around, Bentancur, uh, hobbled out injured and I think he's out for the season, unfortunately. So, and it's it's typically the inconsistent Spurs has shown up. So, um, yeah, uh, really, really convincing win for Leicester. Sean, uh, Leicester City now six points clear of the relegation zone. I remember not too long ago, they were right in it, right in the relegation dogfight. Um, by all means, they're not clear yet, but what has changed over the last couple of months, Sean? I think you, it's very rare that you see a Premier League team give time to a manager, especially when they're struggling a lot in the beginning and they, like staying in the relegation zone for such a long time. But the persistence was there. They put more money into the club. You know, they actually invested, I think, in a solid giant defender. <laughs> and you can see the team is playing better now. There are players who are back from injury. You have a fit squad. Players who are playing for one another. The goal is there. It's not a bad team. Leicester doesn't win you know, the FA Cup two seasons ago and then come out to be relegation fodder right now, mm. right? So there was something innately wrong in that team where at the start of the season, I think we were mentioning there were so many injuries to that team. There were so many things out of place. James Madison's future was not you know, set in stone, links to Arsenal, Newcastle and so on. Now you see a team that's all together, all fighting for the same purpose. Probably not silverware, mm. but a team that is ready to fight relegation and of those at the bottom, they look the most solid. They'll probably move themselves up to mid-table come a month or two from now. Hmm. So you have the consistency there. You have the belief in the manager to push on. It's everything you could want. It's not the, something you can be said for the rest of the teams below them, you know? Hmm. Yeah, for sure. On Spurs side, Nick, uh, the hopes for top four in Champions League football takes a blow. Uh, they now sit fifth. Um, still possible, definitely. Um, but do you think Conte can pull this one out of the bag? Especially, you know, dropping a game after the huge win against City. Yeah, like uh, Azran mentioned earlier, it's been quite a weird season uh, for Spurs, you know. Uh, none more so than the last week uh, where I thought uh, they did exceptionally well against City. In fact, um, they, they made City look uh, so ordinary. Uh, Haaland didn't have a shot for the first time in City colours. And then, you know, uh, in this game to take the lead and only to be undone. Mm. Um, I think it's, it's still very much a case uh, of the players are really, you know, gelling together because uh, they've brought, brought some new signings. You look at uh, right-back uh, Pedro Poro. He has made one of the worst starts a new signing could ever make, perhaps in the history of the league. In fact, he was uh, castigated so much um, and, you know, he was forced to come up uh, with uh, apology. And um, besides him, uh, the rest of the team, I think, have yet to find their, their, their footing, you know. I, I see, I don't see Son and uh, Kane uh, gelling as well as they have been, you know. Um, 
and even the the rest of the team you you look especially in defense uh eric daya I, i don't know what is he doing still being uh, uh fielded as as uh, uh the starting 11 so you know it seems very disjointed you find a free flowing spurs one week and then you know it's a disjointed spurs the other week and it doesn't help when you have injuries to key players like pentanko mm. and kulusevski as well you know he was immense for them last season uh, a drop in form this season and suddenly not the team that they used to be so uh for me uh conte has not been able to truly immerse himself because he's not got a free flowing side and i think that has been the issue to develop chemistry and to develop uh, a sort of a formidable team that is capable of performing week in week out mm, yeah definitely the players come into factor you know azran mm. last season last january window uh, conte brought in kulusevski and bentonko and seemed to give them that boost that they needed right that injection but this january window they brought in players but not to the same effect yeah exactly i think uh in the january window they hijacked the deal for uh, benjuma for everton mm-hmm. at the last minute and pedro poro no wonder i think when joao cancelo went to bayern i think there were talks that um city were going to utilize their buyback clause for pedro poro and obviously they do they didn't do that and based on pedro poro's first showing for spurs no wonder city didn't didn't get him back because he was absolutely poor uh for 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 Spurs the other night. So again tough times unfortunately for for Spurs I I would agree with Nicholas. Unfortunately, you know you normally they would normally depend on the partnership of Son and Harry Kane. Somehow it hasn't gelled so much this season and the loss of Bentancur is going to hit them really really hard. So Uh, tough times for Spurs. Uh, good for the rest chasing for the top four spots. Mm, that's Leicester four, Spurs one. Spurs will face AC Milan uh, in the Champions League this week. Conte going back to Milan. Uh, we move on now to West Ham one, Chelsea one. Former Blue Emerson stealing a point, cancelling out Jao Felix's goal. A big talking point from this was the apparent world-class save from Thomas Suchak uh, in the dying minutes. Uh, Premier League uh, has came out with a statement explaining... Um, why the penalty wasn't given it struck the hand that broke the fall apparently etc etc Sean to you penalty or no penalty it's such a difficult one I think there are many days where this would be given right we've seen it happen in other competitions you know I go back to the Europa League when uh, Lisandro Martinez goes in for a tackle the ball comes off his knee and then hits his arm but it ends up becoming a penalty mm. to me that is less obvious than the one that Suchek did against Chelsea Right, you can say, yeah, he's breaking his fall and his arms on the ground, so the ball hits him. But where's the line? I've I've said this since last season, and I think Des got really tired of hearing it as well. Where's the consistency? What is the actual law of the of these things? You know, you you say this one week, and then next week it's probably going to be given. Hmm. So for me, it's to me personally, I think it's a penalty. But there will be many people who say it's not a penalty because he was breaking his fall. You also got to look at the sense where the person who took the shot, I can't remember who took the shot that was saved by Thomas Suchek. Was it going on on target? Was it bound for goal? Mm. In my eyes, it was bound for goal. Mm. So that's, in a way, stopping a clear and obvious chance for a goal as well. Mm. So to me, it should be a penalty. I mean, if that's the case, there'll be so many players who can abuse the same system. Isn't it? Just dive in, drop to the floor. If your arms are out wide, And you hit the ball. Oh, I should be fine then if that is the letter of the law. But to me, at the end of the day, it's a stonewall penalty. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. There's so many blurred lines when it comes to this. Chelsea must have feel hard done by by this decision. Yeah, I think on the back of 90 minutes, uh, Chelsea were slightly the better team. Um, they seem to have some sort of chemistry going with all their new signings. Uh, just bear in mind, I think Graham Potter has one of the toughest tasks uh, in the Premier League. At this point, you know, he's just been thrown a flurry of players, you know, uh, supposedly world-class players, you know, picked from various parts of of the world, and then you know, just dumped at his disposal. And the owner wants him to, you know, uh, get them uh, running uh, right away. And it's not an easy task, you know, for Graham Potter, you know, coming from from a setup like Brighton where he's worked with a small knit team you know no superstars you know the players play for the team they play for the manager mm. and now you know there's big egos to be managed you know you got to fight uh, find the right player to fit into the right system uh, but despite all that i think uh, some of the new signings have immersed themselves uh, quite well your felix seems to be you know 
uh, really getting into the rhythm of things. You know, he struck an understanding. He looks to have struck an understanding with Enzo Fernandez. You know, who's had this huge price tag, you know, on on his back, but has done well so far. I thought he did really well against Fulham. Um, and even uh, in this game, I think he was man of the match as well. You know, pulling the strings mm. in midfield. Mm. So I think uh, on the back of 90 minutes, Chelsea will feel hard done by. Uh, but then again, you know, they're still not doing enough to warrant the three points. It's been three consecutive draws uh, since the January transfer window, and they have to do more. They, mm. they really have to do more. I think despite all the signings that have been brought in, one saw position that has been sorely missing is a central striker and Kai Havertz has not been able to fill that role no doubt he's done well earlier in the season but he sort of faded off and now with Abu Mayang you know there's all sorts of stories going on about him you know mm-hmm. uh, some want, uh, some stories are linking him back with a move to Barcelona some are saying that you know he's choosing to stay at Chelsea so there's a lot of uncertainty uh, with regards to him, but bear in mind, you know, he's a top, top striker and, and the longer that he doesn't play, Chelsea are still missing that quality up front. Mm, yeah, um, Obama Yang and also Kai Havertz, you know, his his position as a nine has been a very contentious topic. Uh, Enzo Fernandez fit in like a glove, like you mentioned, but Azran, I mean, Chelsea are in a really tough spot now. You, do you think they'll go all in for the Champions League? I mean, top four seems very untenable for, for them now. Uh, I suppose the only chance for silverware for Chelsea is realistically going all the way in the Champions League. Uh, I've got to say, similar to the team that I support as well, but back to Chelsea, it's all in with the Champions League because ninth spot at this point of time, that's where they are and, um, you know, double digits away from the top four spots, Mm. that's going to be difficult, very difficult to attain. Mm, That's West Ham 1, Chelsea 1. When we come back, more Premier League action coming your way. This is Just For Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back on Just for Kicks. I'm Daryl with Sean Malhotra, Nicholas Anil and Azran Rosin. Now we move on to Arsenal 1, Brantford 1. Arsenal sitting at the top of the table, Brantford 8th spot. Uh, Ivan Tony cancelling out Arsenal's lead through Leandro Trossard's first goal for Arsenal. Uh, now Arsenal hold a slim lead with three points, albeit they have a game in hand. Again, I come back to this, a major talking point was VAR and referee's decisions. Apparently, the VAR referee forgot to draw the line when it came to Ivan Tony's goal. I mean, how can you be assessing an offside decision and forget to draw the line, right? Arsenal feel must be feeling really hard done by Nicholas. This, for me, has been the most partial decisions this, this weekend, okay? You put aside the technology and then there's this human errors involved. Not in one game, but two games, hmm. right? So, Brentford Arsenal was one and the other one was Brighton Crystal Palace. That's right. Where the VAR official actually drew the offside line on the wrong player, right? So, the uh, head of the referee's uh, body has apologised. They have, you know, uh, informed Arsenal and also Brighton. Look, we've made an human error and we apologise. And uh, there's going to be a referee's meeting tomorrow led by Howard Webb, who's the chief uh, referee. Uh, what is the implications of this? You, you look at this in the bigger context of the title race and here you have Arsenal who are chasing uh, the title for the first time in a long time. And, and not to, to forget uh, Brighton, you know, who are flying high at the moment. Now, this is two points dropped, two big points dropped. And what is the res- uh, retro respective uh, decision? Do you fire the official that, that has committed this blunder? Um, or do you can you overturn the result? If you can overturn the result, then there's going to be bigger implications. But firing the officials, for me, I think is... At this point, the most realistic option, but it's a it minimum. Doesn't take, yeah, doesn't take the, the 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 fact that both these teams have lost two point to a human error in a VAR situation where you know it's uh, fingernails and toenails and backsides being counted. It's it's supposed to be perfect in that sense, but you can't you can't dismiss this human error. So absolute fast in the Premier League this weekend uh, because of these two referees and. You know, uh, for me, this this has been the new law of wow. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah def- definitely a sackable offence if you think about it. At the very minimum, right? Uh, Sean, come the end of the season, if Arsenal does drop the league, it does not end up as champions. So definitely be looking at this fixture as one of the major talking points. Obviously, a lot easier to look at this this game and, and then look at that VAR decision and say, yeah, we didn't win the league. It's because of this decision. 
But the thing is, the games, the season is 38 games long. There's many games that amount to it. Why not the United loss? Why not the loss to Everton? There mm. could be so many things, right? Mm. But this one was out of their hands. I go back to the point, right? What was the point of VAR being un- brought into the game? It was to avoid human errors, right? It's hit there, clear and obvious errors. It's to avoid those things, right? How can you say <laughs> it's a clear and obvious error from the man who's the one who's dealing with VAR and then be like, Oh yeah, we're just gonna issue an apology. <laughs> no, that's not enough. <laughs> What's an apology gonna do for Arsenal? Yeah. To me, it's yeah, it's two points drop. They'll probably point out that you know there was a wrong VAR call. But if you look over 90 minutes, that was a call that not many people are mentioning that didn't go Brentford's way either, where uh, Mbemo got past Gabriel, and I think he went on to score. But then it was called back because there was a foul on Gabriel. If you go back and actually watch it, Gabriel slips and falls. It's not, you know, Mbemo pushing him off. Hmm. So you have to look at that and go, maybe Brentford could have won. I think a draw is a fair result after, you know, two bad VAR calls. But hmm. again, in football, two wrongs don't make a right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, I, I would say both teams will feel aggrieved that they didn't win the game. Mm, yeah, you're right. That the match is 90 minutes long. And on the footballing side, Azran Arteta, he put out an unchanged team from the loss versus Everton last weekend. Uh, granted, Arteta is the boss. He knows his best 11. But do you detect a hint of stubbornness a little bit there, Azran? Yeah. So for Arteta, I think what he's done is he's stuck to his tried and tested players. Again, after unfortunately losing back-to-back in the FA Cup to Manchester City, albeit small margins and uh, that really really disappointing and shocking result at Goodison Park against Everton uh, they thought against Brighton uh, putting the similar lineup would probably get them three points indeed they played well I think let's not talk about the VR again what what VR does now at this point of time is create more spectacular talking points and discussion <laughs> points I suppose huh? uh, and that's what VR was introduced to minimize at least But nevertheless, again, uh, I think personally, I think they played well. Uh, it was a decent lineup when they scored, when they went a goal up after Trossard came on and scored. A very, very nice goal. I think they thought they had it done. But uh, obviously, Brentford has done well enough. They are where they are this year. Because again, Brentford is a team that, again, at, during their day, they can shock any of the top four, top top 10 teams, right? And that's why they're in top 10 at this point of time. So, uh, Brentford scored. Back to what I say, back, what it makes is great football. Uh, in a couple of days' time, we'll see the top two playing. And again, even City has got their issues with some injuries. Let's see. It's This game is arguably going to be the decider. I know it's very early. It's still early. It's still another, what, 15, 16-odd games to go. Yeah. Uh, but this looks to be uh, where the leader will pull through. And um, I think it might be Arsenal. Uh, that's Arsenal dropping two points and taking advantage of that Arsenal result was Man City. They beat Aston Villa 3-1. Putting the FFP worries aside, um, Sean, your initial reactions to this? I, I've said this for a long time. How often do you see Pep Guardiola lose back-to-back games? I think the last time I remember Pep losing back-to-back games was when they lost in the Carling Cup, I mean the League Cup, then losing to United. But normally his City team comes back fighting. Yeah, it wasn't a vintage display and... Jack Grealish is very good at flying too. City have it in them to win these kind of games at home. Hmm. I think there's there's less doubt when they're at home. But the thing that's been struggling for, for I think for their team is the fact that they've been inconsistent. For champions, defending champions, they've been very inconsistent. You saw how Spurs played this weekend, right? Getting smashed by Leicester. This is the same Spurs team that beat City just a few days ago. So the inconsistency is there. If you can be good enough to beat Villa today, What was the issue before this? Hmm. The inconsistency is there. Of course, you know, if you watch the game, the minute the teams were announced and they came out on the pitch, the whole stadium was ringing with boos because, you know, the Premier League anthem was being played. City fans are going to feel aggrieved by everything. There's a bit of, uh, what's the word? It's very intense hmm. there right now. It's a very tense situation. I think they just go into every game till the end of the season, whatever competition it may be, with this sense of, we're going to show you we're a good enough team. We don't care about what you have to say about us. Mm. That's the the vibe I'm getting from Manchester City at the moment. Let They the deserve f- their win. Let the football do the talking. Exactly. Right. Um, Azran, like like Sean said, not not so much a vintage City performance, but they look pretty much like like their old self. De Bruyne is such an amazing player and whenever he doesn't play, that obviously gives a bit of a galvanizing effect on the opposition. And that's I think that's what happened against Spurs. Yes, yeah. Somehow, uh, the Spurs team, as soon as they saw De Bruyne doesn't start, you know, it gives you a bit of a advantage uh, to a certain effect, right? Because obviously, the two players that 
again, if I were an opposing player, I would look at the team sheet and I would look at what De Bruyne and probably Haaland, no? And now we've got De Bruyne playing. Probably, again, the question is whether will he play against Arsenal? I think he should and he would. Uh, but Haaland is a bit of a doubt now with his injury. He got pulled off at halftime. Right. But uh, having said that, with their full squad at halftime, they were totally convincing. They Again, Villa... I'm not so sure whether it was the fact that City were really good or Villa were really poor. Or maybe it's a bit of both. Hmm. Uh, because Villa didn't really turn up until the second half. Um, basic errors, uh, you could see some... The defensive error caused the second goal. Uh, a penalty, a soft penalty to concede the third. So, uh, it was a poor, poor, poor Villa display in the first half. Second half, they did they did get one goal back. And in, in fact, they hit the bar uh, towards the end of the game. So, they did put a bit of a fight to City. But overall, City deserved their win. And yeah, let's see which City... And back to what Sean mentioned, let's see which City turns up uh, against Arsenal uh, on Wednesday night. And again, that should be a cracker of a game. Game of the season for sure in a couple of days. We'll preview that match a bit later on. But uh, Nick, last point on this match. Um, like Azran was saying, you know, Aston Villa were really light at the back. They defensively looked really wobbly, especially in the first half. Tyron Mings uh, was a big miss for Villa. Um, Unai Emery suffered back-to-back losses for the first time in Villa since the Stevie G era. Unai Emery, I think a bit uncharacteristic. You know, he's usually uh, a manager that likes to keep things tight at the back. Uh, but, you know, shipping seven goals in the last two games. Even he, I think, didn't expect that. Uh, in, in these games, City came out flying, you know, and, and before they know it, they were three goals down. Mm. So, um, I just go back to the uh, to the game against uh, Leicester City. In, in that game, they took the lead twice and then ended up getting uh, bashed uh, four goals. Now, you look at the, the squad, I think they've got a pretty formidable squad. It's just that Una Emery has got has had to deal with a little bit of uh, inconsistency. Of course, like you mentioned, uh, Tyron Minks uh, not being available uh, has really dealt a blow because he has been uh, really on form. Callum Chambers and Ezri Konsa, for me, have not gelled together really well. Hmm. And at right back, you have a 37-year-old Ashley Young, you know, who's not able to bomb up and down like he used to. You know, Luca Dean, for me, has also been very inconsistent. Hmm. Um, not like the player, you know, who, who shown for Everton to warrant this move to Newcastle. And up top, Oli Watkins. Uh, for me, this guy has so much of potential, you know, when he was signed from Brentford. Such a hard-working player. He can sniff out opportunities. Great technique in him as well. He has yet to deliver his full form in Villa Colours. And besides uh, Oli Watkins, Villa don't really have a standout striker that can bang in the goals for them. Um, and as a result, they've been struggling. And when you come up against a team like City, you've got to be on top form from the first minute. And, you know, it's easy to just buckle under pressure when you when you go three, three goals down. Uh, and that's what happened to them. Mm, plenty of work for Unai Emery and Aston Villa. That is Man City 3, Aston Villa 1. Move on now to Bournemouth 1, Newcastle 1. Eddie Howe, of course, facing his old side. Newcastle has are becoming somewhat of a draw specialist. Fifth draw in six league outings. However, they make it up with their solid defence. One of the best defence uh, in Europe's top five leagues. Yeah, I mean, they invested heavily into the defense. Right? If you look at the at the at the back four compared to last season to now, yeah. there's only one man that's still the same there. Actually, let's go with the back five. It was just back four. Only Fabian Shah has kept his place. Trippier has, you know, relatively only been there a year and a half or so. Uh, uh, Dan Byrne and Botman, who to me is one of the best signings of the season, mm. along with Nick Pope. You've got a solid, experienced goalkeeper. You've got Sven Botman, who I think was slept on in the summer. I think more clubs should have gone in for him. But you're seeing the class and quality they have there in defense. I think they have the best defense in the Premier League, and it's arguably you know understood. You see it. You see why they play. They're so organized. They're dangerous when they attack because Trippier contributes to the attack, and so does uh, Dan Burn on the left. Defensively, they are so compact. Hmm. It's so difficult to breach them. And once you breach them, Nick Pope is outstanding in goal. Right? The fact that <laughs> they have had so many draws. You can't blame the defense for draws, right? I, I don't think there's been a moment this season where we've looked at, at Newcastle and gone, oh wow, that was poor from them defensively. Yeah. It's more of the time they haven't scored enough goals, right? The reason why their goal difference is so gigantic is because they don't concede. But if they figure out this whole goals issue, in a season or two, we'll be talking about Newcastle, you know, challenging the likes of City, Arsenal and maybe United. But balance needs to be found. You know, I, I recently read that Callum Wilson could probably be out for a few weeks. You know, and Alexander Isaac 
hasn't you know to be said to be like one of the best strikers they could have gotten so he needs to find form you know if he finds form newcastle are fine but callum wilson has been great for newcastle this season i think that's the the thing they need to figure out at the moment how to find the balance in their team mm, yeah i mean newcastle's rise has been quite rapid hasn't it i mean just you know just last year we were talking about the saudi takeover and say, oh, okay I'll give them four five years but now they sit pretty on fourth champions league places newcastle nick yeah uh, amazing uh, again you know it, i think it's it's a uh, huge testament to the work that Eddie Howe has been doing. It's not easy for a manager uh, to come into a huge club uh, like Newcastle where the fan base are so starved of success and then, you know, you have all this Arab money that's uh, pouring into the club and, you know, it's it's one thing to, to, to pour money into the club and say, look, this is the kitty, go out and buy players, but it's another thing altogether to make them gel. Mm. But that's what Eddie Howe has done, you know. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the likes of Kieran Trippier, for, for instance, you know, make, making him captain, he's produced uh, such an outstanding performance, not just as a defender, but as a supplier of goals as well. Mm. And then you have Joe Linton, who was formerly a striker, now has been changed into a central midfield role and has been outstanding. Mm. And Miguel Almiron, for me, has been uh, one of the players of the season so yeah. far, you know, uh, always kept in the back burners before, not really a flashy player or not an impact player, but it's a totally different story this season. So all these little transformation that Eddie Howe has done, his man management skills um, with this sort of players, uh, has been absolutely sensational, you know. And then you've got players like Sean Longstaff, you know, who's playing out of his skin. Anthony Gordon, who's just been bought for record fee from Everton as well. Um, so these are all the players that's going to be really, I think, the uh, future of Newcastle's for the coming seasons. But like Sean mentioned earlier, that striking, uh, that that strikers issue is the one which they have to solve. Alexander Isak has come with a huge uh, price tag, but he's not delivered just yet. Callum Wilson has been you know struggling um, uh, with form i think with injuries as well when he's fit he's an absolutely magnificent player mm. and then you also have joe willock you know who's capable of scoring so many goals but hasn't quite delivered so i think once uh, eddie howe and newcastle have figured out this problem once they can find a striker who can consistently deliver them 20 goals a season we'll be talking about newcastle even challenging for the title mm. maybe not this season but in the coming seasons yeah, that's Bournemouth 1, Newcastle 1. When we come back, we talk Man United versus Leeds only here on Just For Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just For Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just For Kicks on BFM 89.9. We're back on Just For Kicks. I'm Daryl together with Azran, Sean and Nick. Now we head over to Allen Road. Leeds United 0, Manchester United 2. Uh, the return fixture from the midweek game, um, despite having to weather the storm from the valiant Leeds throughout the match, late goals from Inform Rashford as well. Substitute Garnaccio uh, gave Man United the win. Sean's a Manchester United fan, Nick's a Leeds United fan, so naturally we have to hit to Azran. Uh, Well-deserved win for Manchester United? Well, I, I would say United managed to hold on Leeds long enough and finally conjure the win. Because uh, I think Leeds, for a team that has lost their manager recently, did put up a show. Well, mind you, it's like a derby game between them. So uh, Leeds, they've met, what, twice in a spate of 10 days, I would imagine. Mm. And I think Leeds gave a good account for themselves. Uh, uh, I think Weston McKenney played well, marsh- marshaled up the midfield. There were a couple of, uh, you know, attacks in the first half um, uh, that Man- Manchester United managed to withheld. Uh, but finally, again, the team form at this point of time is clearly Manchester United. Uh, I think the clear change that United has is there's clearly a steal in their midfield as well as they've shored up defensively. They are absolutely solid. Again, yesterday was a game where the much maligned... Um, what's his name again? I, I, I Now I forget his name now. Um, uh, Harry Maguire. Right. <laughs> Sorry for that. He's he's out of it that I've even forgotten about him. Yeah, It's uh, a game that the much maligned Harry Maguire played and I think he played well. I think he put up a good show for himself. Obviously, there were a couple of mistakes at the end. Mm-hmm. There at the start, which could have caused some goals. But overall, I think uh, he managed to come in into a game. I mean, for someone who hasn't played that often for quite a while, putting in a fairly big game like that against Leeds, no? where it's uh, considered a derby, I think put up a decent show. Didn't manage to concede. And finally, uh, the man in four, Marcus, Marcus Rashford, came up and scored. And uh, Luke Shaw is another player that is, I think it's 
if you've got on the right Kieran Trippier, Luke Shaw has, again, this year sort of had a second win as well. So mm. uh, Luke Shaw played really well and a good clean sheet and a good win for Manchester United in the end. Fair play. They look, they look really bolt on to get the one of the Champions League slots at this point of time. Yeah, Luke Shaw was great, but I don't think Sean agrees with you with Harry Maguire being that solid throughout the game. Uh, I have to say though, Sean, um, pretty astute um, flexibility and you know um, how Ten Hag adapted uh, his formation to the game. You know he brought Workhouse playing as a ten. Uh, Luke Shaw played centre back and then Garnacho on the left, which really provided um, a solid injection of pace uh, on on that flank. Um, what do you think of Ten Hag's um, adaptability throughout this game? I thought it was amazing because for the first 60, 65 odd minutes, I thought United were done for. Mm. I thought Leeds were definitely going to get a goal. United couldn't get out of their half in the second half, right? Literally, there was no outlet to midfield. No one was making that ball. Normally, you'd have Shaw on the left who's making the, the run, right? Malasia doesn't provide you that same kind of run. He goes too wide. So what ends up happening is you have two players who are playing in centre-back who are not well-known for their distribution out of defence in that central position, right? Eric Ten Hag decides, hey, you know what? I've had enough of this. I'm going to bring on Lisandro Martinez. And I'm not saying this just as a United fan, but I think Lisandro Martinez has definitely been one of the best defenders in the league this season. And when he came on, you saw a total difference in that defence, right? He was getting the ball out of, of defence into midfield, into the attacking players. Wekos dropping back into a 10 position, where some pundits were calling it a nine and a half position. <laughs> and his outlet to the wings was so impressive because Weghorst as a number nine for me throughout that 90, I mean the 60 minutes or so, didn't do anything. The, right? the, the balls were not going to him and I think the two guys in Leeds defence, along with Tyler Adams and Weston McKennie, were doing great. Right? They didn't have to worry about Weghorst. But the minute he dropped back and you put Rashford up in the number nine, that brings a lot of questions up. Who do you stick with? Who do you follow? Rashford's going to beat you for pace. Wakehorse is going to release a nice ball. And that's exactly what happened. To me, the man in the match was Eric Ten Hag. Mm-hmm. The, the, the tactical changes he made is a sign of a manager who knows what he's doing, which is something United have lost for a long time. Mm-hmm. And a uh, real test going to come up real soon uh, with Barcelona in the horizons in the Europa League. But Nick, Leeds United, you know, still managerless at the time of recording. Um, there was a new manager, uh, IX boss, who was sitting in the stands. You know, um, Will he change things for you, Nick? No, I think I speak for most Leeds fans around the world that we do not want him to come. <laughs> Just based on his track record uh, with IX, he was the man who actually replaced Eric Ten Hag. That's right. He didn't yeah. last long, got sacked. And uh, you know, I was just seeing some pictures online of the amount of hatred and outrage that these IX fans, you know, have towards this guy. But him aside, Leeds are in crisis mode at this at this point. You know, no club, no manager ha- ha- wants to come over. It really desperate times. Uh, Four managers, if I'm not mistaken, have already turned them down. For me, sacking Jesse March last week was perhaps jumping the gun because he was just given this transfer kitty, got the players he wanted. And bear in mind, these were the players he wanted. A lot of Americans, a lot of them were from the Red Bull setup. Mm. So I would imagine that he would have been given a bit more time, but I can also understand the sacking. It's just that I thought when Leeds made the decision to sack him, they would have already have a replacement in mind. Turns out they didn't have anyone in mind. And then he was sort of, you know, throwing the bait and seeing who, who picks it up. As it turns out, no one has picked it up. Michael Skubala was brought in as interim manager from the under-21s. He's done a good job, but on the back of that defeat, Leeds looked like a team who were running around like headless chickens. The intensity was there. The work rate was there. The willingness to fight for everything was there. But there was no game plan. They did not make use of the ball, especially in the final third. They looked lost. Defensively, yes, they did their job. But when the energy levels dropped at the last 10 minutes of the game, that's when United hit and it hit them hard. Mm. So Leeds are a team without a plan, without a purpose, both on and off the pitch. And I don't think bringing in someone new would make instant transformation because the new man would need time to, you know, find the right uh, chemistry, to find the right tactics and to get his message across more importantly. Mm. And if it's a manager who's not adept in the Premier League, then it's going to take even longer. So I I really don't know where uh, Leeds would move from here on now, but it has to be only up. There's no other way because down is already uh, 18th, 19th and, and, and 20th. Uh, the only consolation is that the players uh, still have it in them, you know, to fight for everything. So the hunger to stay on top is still there and the season is still relatively long. Mm. But um, apart from that, it just leaves a lot of uh, question marks than answers. Mm. 
Mm, I can hear the pain in your voice, Nick. I'm sorry for you, but this sounds like a job for Marcelo Bielsa, if you ask me. <laughs> That's Leeds nil, Manchester United 2. We head on now very quickly to Crystal Palace 1, Brighton 1. Like you alluded to, Nick, another match with VAR controversy. Brighton denied a deserved win. Disallowed uh, goal for offside uh, in the first half. We forget the referees apologising for drawing the lines wrongly. However, Roboto Di Zerbe said that this is one of the best performances from from his side since taking over. Do you think this was a one-sided game, goalkeeping error aside? Yeah, but <laughs> I was saying this to, to a few friends the other day. If I didn't support Manchester United and I was clueless about the Premier League, I would love watching Brighton. Yeah. Because right? they have great talents in their squad. They've been consistent. Yes, when the Zerbi came in, they weren't entirely performing. But now you're seeing them, you know, really give their all. Yeah, there are going to be blips along the way. They're not going to win every game. But I don't think this is a team that's looking at the top four. Even though they're thereabouts right now, I think they're in fifth. They have every opportunity with the way they're playing against the big teams, against the small teams, mm. to actually cement their place where they are or mm. thereabouts in fifth, sixth or seventh. I would have thought, you know, they could have won this game against Palace. You know, a, a Palace team that is struggling, struggling to win games, struggling to score goals. And I feel for Palace because I actually like their team as well. But I think if you look at it head to head, Palace would be happy with a draw. Yeah. Not Brighton. For sure, for sure. Um, his Tomkins equaliser means that Crystal Palace avoided a fourth defeat in six Premier League matches. Uh, Nick, they are now seven points clear from relegation zone, but Patrick Vieira must be really feeling the pressure. Yeah, it's not looking good for Palace. Um, they started off decently well. I think they were 12th not too long ago. Um, now they, they still have a little bit of buffer from the relegation spots, but the performance... Uh, relegation uh, material. Mm. You know, you look at this game against Brighton and they did not have a shot on target until Robert Sanchez decides to catch the ball and inexplicably just drop it um, right on the plate for James Tompkins. And that was Palace's only shot on target. They did not threaten Brighton's goal at all. And if you look at the possession, Palace only had 25% possession. I think that's the least amount of possession that her team has uh, occurred uh, this season. So, really not looking good for Palace. I think um, losing Conor Gallagher last year deeply hurt uh, Patrick Vieira. You know, the decision to go back to Chelsea, they lost that spark in midfield and no one has really been able to step up to the plate. Up top, they're still very dependent on Wilfred Zaha to score goals like he always done. He's still their top goal scorer. But if you look at the goal scoring charts, he's only scored six goals. And that is the top goal scorer. Uh, up front, they're toothless as well. And they seem to be playing without a proper structure. You know, they, they do not know how to defend. Uh, they do not know how what, what to do with the ball when they do have it. They do not know how to supply Wilfred Zaha. And he's always isolated by himself without much support. So, all this is very, very worrying signs for Crystal Palace. Especially when you see the season moving into its very crucial stage where the games will be coming in thick and fast. Yeah. If Palace are not careful, they will be embroiled in that relegation dogfight mm. real soon. Mm. They sit in 12, Crystal Palace 1-1 versus Brighton. Uh, Azran seems to have left us... Uh, uh, so hopefully he joins the call uh, real soon. But uh, Sean, we head to you now for Fulham 2, Nottingham Forest nil. I want to talk about Fulham, just Fulham on this one. Um, they are continuing their impressive season this year and they surely now have to think, you know, Europa League spots, not far off, you know. I think for a team like Fulham, who have just come back from the Championship under Marco Silva and everything, their first priority, I think any, I think Nick can, can agree with this, any team that comes up from the Championship the first priority is avoiding relegation. Yeah, exactly. Like hit hit yeah. that 40-point mark. Then whatever else happens after that is a bonus. To be in the position they're in, it's not by luck. Yeah. They have played superbly well. The players that they have brought in are brilliant. I think a player that not many people mention enough is Jao Palinha. The most interceptions in the Premier League of any player. The guy is solid. right? Andreas Pereira, who I think, you know, personally for me, as a United fan, I looked at him and I went, yeah, he, he's not Premier League. You know, quality. Marco Silva gets the best out of him. He's yeah. one of their most creative players in the team. Yeah. Mitrovic scores goals for fun for them. You you see a team that has every piece that is just working out for them. You have the leadership of Tim Ream at the back. It's nice to see. For them, this is like I probably like uncharted territory since the Roy Hodgson days, right? Where they were competing for these kind of positions. That's right. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to go down to Marco Silva. A man who has, you know, done good things to bring teams up to the Premier League. 
but then always fell short when it came to the Premier League. Mm-hmm. So when it's going well for him at Fulham now, I think a lot of it has to be accredited to him and the players he's brought in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Fulham, like Cam likes to say, the surprise package uh, of this season. Uh, very quickly, Nick, We speaking of relegation, we head on to Southampton 1, Wolves 2, rock bottom Southampton. And they, after this match, they have sacked their boss, Nathan Jones. I mean, Southampton now surely waving the white flag unless a messiah uh, comes in. They are going down, aren't they? Yeah, Nathan Jones for me has got to be one of the most uh, weird signings uh, in the Premier League uh, era. You know, this guy uh, he he did well in League Two, Luton, uh, and as a result got got the job. Who, who and this job was was way above his capabilities. But what set Nathan Jones apart was his outlandish claims. You know, he I think he himself single handedly. Um, have put Southampton um, in in the position that they are in now. You know, uh, when results were not going their way, you know, he, he I don't know if he was uh, a ploy to take away the, the performance, but you know, he was saying stuff like, you know, uh, I came from uh, the team who was the best statistically in Europe, you know, Luton Town, and uh, things like um, I I could have you know just uh, uh, stayed at home in Wales uh, you know been a PE teacher and married a Welsh girl but here I am you know taking <laughs> this job and you know trying to do my best so all these things you know rather than helping the team has just you know dragged them down even further and and you just see that performance against Wolf that own goal that has got to be the most comical own goal I've ever seen that equalizer for Wolves and. You know, after that, that that uh, winner as well. They were just all over the place, and you know, appointing Nathan Jones has got to be one of the worst decisions uh, that Southampton has made. Um, I, I didn't even think that they should have uh, let uh, Ralph Hassan Hotel go, but to appoint uh, a nobody to take over his his place at such a crucial season, um, they made the right decision absolutely to get rid of him. But I just fear for Southampton if it's a bit too late for them. Mm. See you in the championship next season, says Nick. <laughs> Come, uh, Azran has joined us back on the call just in time because we're going to preview Liverpool versus Everton real soon. This is Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. We're back on Just For Kicks. Azran, Nicholas and Sean with us. Azran has joined us back on the call just in time as we talk about Liverpool versus Everton. That's the Tuesday 4am game. Liverpool sit in 10th versus Everton in 18. Uh, Azran, people have talked up Everton's chances after that one year win against Arsenal. This is pretty much a battle of forms. Do you fancy, I mean obviously you fancy Liverpool to do it, but do you think Everton can uh, challenge you guys? Uh-huh, I came back just in time. I wouldn't miss this conversation for the world, guys. So again, first and foremost, this might be one of the last uh, Merseyside derbies in, in the Premier League. Uh, again, if we spoke about the first half of the season, it looked as if it was a massive possibility. But now I think, Nicholas, you spoke about how Leeds might have jumped the gun in sacking Jesse Marsh. I think now this season you can see, uh, Sean mentioned about the man of the match being Eric Ten Hag and I think he's been man of the season for Manchester United. He's really changed the culture of the club. A club that appeared to be stuttering is now the club in form. No? So back to Liverpool. Unfortunately, Liverpool is absolutely stuttering. Uh, having said that, uh, mind-blowingly, as much as Liverpool is in really troubled times at this point of time, for us Liverpool fans, we've got that Champions League knockout rounds against Real Madrid to look forward to. And obviously, this Merseyside derby is the start of a important stretch for us. So looking at which, I think um, it's a Merseyside derby. So in derby games, usually form goes out of the window. So hopefully, this will be the catalyst of Liverpool turning their season around. But I've said this for the past couple of months. So uh, really, realistically, Everton will be all guns blazing. Sean Dyke is the right man. And I think he's probably one of the sort of type of managers that Leeds should look out for at this point of time. So it's going to be a bruising, bruising encounter. Obviously, as a Liverpool fan, I expect Liverpool to win. But again, Everton, after beating Arsenal last week, they are the team like looking probably to escape relegation. I really want to see another Merseyside derby next week in the Premier League. So, uh, next season in the Premier League. So, I hope Liverpool wins tonight and Everton, again, as much as I like to make fun of them, I would like them to stay in the Premier League this season. Mm, mm, mm. I mean, uh, Sean Dutch is 
not exactly the most flashiest of managers, but they manage. But he he manages to keep things neat and gets the job done. At the end of the day, as evidence uh, with that win against Arsenal, what is Sean Dyche doing at Everton that to suddenly turn their fortunes around, especially if they beat Liverpool uh, tomorrow? Uh, I think it's simple. Right? It, I, for for so many seasons, we used to say Sam Allardyce is the guy you bring in, yeah. you know, if you want to survive relegation. There was a masterclass that Sean Dyche did. I don't know if people watched it, right? Where he broke down his tactics and everything. A lot of people used to joke that they just do root one football. Right? Just launch it forward and their big striker scores the goal. But when you hear Sean Dyche actually break down his tactics, right? He's a man who's actually very knowledgeable. He's realised, I mean, from I can only base it off the, the Everton-Arsenal game, right? Since he's come back. He realised the strengths that Arsenal had, which mm. was in their width and with Odegaard, Right? You nullify Odegaard, you nullify Martinelli, you nullify Saka, nothing is going to happen in that team, right? And the biggest thing was, to me, the player in midfield, Onana, right? Who made Thomas Partey look like a, a distant memory in that game. He's got everything, he's got the players there. I, I said this since the start of the season, Everton has really good players in that team. A team that shouldn't be where they are right now, hmm. right? Hmm. They brought in Sean Dyche, who's a guy who knows his stuff really well. And it's funny because the two players that, you know, contributed to them scoring against Arsenal were two former Burnley players. <laughs> they are a team on the up and I think this is a game they'll be relishing. It's a Liverpool team that's been inconsistent, struggling. And I think as uh, uh, Azran said, it's a derby. A Merseyside derby. Form mm. goes out the window as the cliche is. Mm. Anything can happen. I personally think it'll be a very entertaining game. It'll probably end up in a score draw. I think Everton have it in them to push this Liverpool team. That's Liverpool versus Everton tomorrow morning at 4am. Uh, Nick, we move on to you now for what, in my opinion, is the game of the season so far. Arsenal versus Manchester City, 3.30am game. I mean, victory for City will put them on top of the table, Nick. I mean, that has to be enough uh, motivation. Yeah, definitely. But um, Arsenal will be ready for this, especially after being denied that that uh, win against Brentford. I think they'll be absolutely up to go and, you know, uh, get their season back on track. Uh, bear in mind, you know, this uh, that is two, two, uh, two games where they have already dropped points against Everton where they did not expect to go and, and drop any points. And then, you know, that setback against Brentford. For me, I think Arsenal have no injury concerns in this game. So, um, Mikel Arteta is a man of uh, ethics. He's a man of, um, how do I say it, you know, similar sort of, um, he put out a similar sort of lineup. I don't expect there to be many changes. But what I would like to see is for Eddie and Ketia to start firing again. You know, he played magnificently against Man United. And he's a player, you know, that on his day, he can really cause teams problem. Uh, not not so much with the aerial threat because he's quite a, a diminutive player, but with, with his running, with his speed, and he's so intelligent in taking up spaces. And I think uh, he could he could make a difference up top for Arsenal because they're sort of missing that X factor ever since Jesus got injured. And Ketia came in, he scored, and then he sort of uh, pitted off. Uh, but, you know, Arsenal will be really depending on, on him to score. And for City... I think not much concerns apart from Haaland. Yeah. But even if you take Haaland out of the equation, City have so many players, you know, who can still cause Arsenal a lot of damage. Yeah. But nonetheless, I'm expecting a tantalising clash. I don't think there'll be winners in this game, but I think it'll be a highly entertaining draw. Arsenal do have one game in hand though. Um, Azran, lots of storylines, right, for this one. You know, you have that story with Haaland. Will he play? Will he not? Pep versus Arteta, Prentice versus Master. Um, what, 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 are your, what are you looking forward to see uh, in this game, Asran? Exactly. I think it's, uh, I think you put it right. I would say it's a Master against Apprentice show, no? where both of them are Barcelona born and bred. Uh, the game will be won in midfield, especially with the fact that Haaland might not be playing and Eddie Nketiah, let's, again, he's all right, but he's not really a world-class striker at this point of time. I would like to see more of the Eddie Nketiah that was playing against United rather than Eddie Nketiah that has been playing for the past couple of games. So the game we won in midfield, it's a battle of Odegaard against De Bruyne. It's a battle of, again, two master tacticians at this point. Obviously, we know what Pep Guardiola is made of and Arteta looks to be a really, really able protégé. So tantalising match, uh, as Nicholas mentioned, a, a draw would actually suit Arsenal because it's a six-pointer and, you know, being the one in the lead with a 1.1 game in hand as well. Hmm. As long as you don't lose, it's okay. But 
Again, if I were to pick a winner, maybe I won't sit on the fence now. I'd say it's an Arsenal win. Uh, they deserve it after having a run of uh, a couple of games, not being able to win a couple of games. Uh, I think based on on uh, how it's going, probably Arsenal is going to shake it, uh, shade it, and uh, this will put them a bit clear in the race for the Premier League. Mm, and the facts do cite you know Arsenal are unbeaten at home so far this season. But Sean, you know if Man City do win and break that record and they end up going top, I. City does know how to turn on the star when they are leading the league. They do. And you have to keep in mind also, this is their first time playing each other in the league. Yep. Right? They'll be playing against each other again. This round I said this one, earlier yeah. on the show that, uh, you know, ever since they were accused of all these FFP breaches and blah, 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 I saw a City team that, and a pep uh, demeanor where it was more like, I don't care. We're going to go out there and show you what our metal is all about. I feel like, you know, it could be a blessing in disguise for City with all these allegations. You're going to go up against a team that everyone has been talking so, you know, greatly about in Arsenal and how well they've done. And Pep, uh, I mean, Ateta's been doing a great job. Pep's going to go there with no fear. And maybe this is an unpopular opinion, but I think they would play better without Haaland mm. in a game like this. Mm. I have a better feeling that City can take something from this game. It's not going to be an easy one. It's going to be a very entertaining game. But I see City sh- just, just shading it. And it's going to be... I can't say it on radio, but I think it's going to be one of those where, you know, the the cards will be everywhere kind of thing. <laughs> so, uh, so Azran's going Arsenal, Sean's going City. Nick, you're the tiebreaker, man. Who's going to take this one? Uh, it's going to be a draw. I think it, it, could, it could be easily turn out to be a 2-2, um, you know, a high-scoring game because um, all it takes is an early goal to unsettle the, the losing team and, and both sides have enough in them to make it an open game. Uh, Arsenal have been free-flowing, so have been City. It would be a detriment to fans worldwide if this would turn out a goalless draw. So, mm, mm. Um, I think this 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 would be a cracker. Mm, I, for one, would love to see uh, a 5-5. Don't forget, five. the 12th man might be involved as well. Let's hope we don't talk about VR this time around. <laughs> Let's hope not. And that brings us to the end uh, of this week's Just for Kicks. I'd like to thank my guest, Azran. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure. Sorry for the connection just now. No. Uh, but it's always a pleasure to be here. All ends well. Uh, Sean, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Hope everyone has a really great week. All right. And Nick, Nicholas Anio. Thanks, uh, thanks, Daryl. And enjoy the football, guys. Yes, enjoy the football indeed. My name's Daryl. Cam will be back real soon. This is Just for Kicks, only here on BFM 89.9. Football tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8 p.m. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.